0: All right, well, the title of tonight's message is uh, Going to Gilead. And um, Gilead is a place in the Bible. It's located uh, to the east of the Jordan River. And if you were to imagine, the, uh, i got to do left and right here. If you were to imagine this is the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River squiggled its way down to the Dead Sea, and Israel proper is on this side of the Jordan Gilead is on this side of the Jordan. And the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh settled on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They had cattle. They saw that the land was, was good. And as they came up to the land of of land of Canaan to, to, to conquer it, to take it, Uh, they saw the grasslands was good for cattle and they had lots of cattle. And so, uh, they said to Moses, well, we kinda, we'd like that for our inheritance if we could have it. And, uh, Moses says, well, okay. And uh, this is fine. Uh, but you're not gonna, you're not going to get that until you help your other brethren take over the land of Canaan and then win. The inheritance is is divvied out. Then you can return. So get your families and your flocks and all of those, all of your that which pertains to you. Get it settled there, and then go and fight with your brother and the other tribes. And so they did. And uh, but it says in there that uh, that Moses says, "Well, if 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 this, if you don't choose this, you will get an inheritance." on this other side of jordan so it's an interesting it's an interesting place and uh it's uh, the majority of that eastern side of the the jordan river is uh called gilead modern day jordan um and it's uh, just kind of an interesting place and you know how uh if i were to say the word waterloo uh, an, an idea comes immediately to mind. Everybody has heard of Waterloo, and if you don't know anything about Waterloo, you still kind of get the gist. And, you know, it's like, uh, so, uh, it's, it's, it's become more of a, more than just a geographical location. It's, it's almost a metaphor. And, uh, you could say, you know, John Smith of Chehalis, Washington met his Waterloo in June of 1968, you know. And, and uh, as I was, kind of studying this Gilead thing out uh, i kind of got the impression that Gilead though it is a place proper and and uh, it's just a place there seems to be an idea that you kind of get from Gilead and going through Gilead some stuff happens to people when they go through Gilead and and the question is is it worth going through Gilead that's the question is Gilead worth going through, and we're going to look at just the life of one man, and uh, we're going to look at the life of Jacob and Jacob goes through Gilead, and so we're going to turn to uh, Genesis chapter one, turn with me to Genesis chapter one we're going to read a passage here, and we're going to just kind of again take a bird's eye view of what's going on here in Jacob's life. <laughs> And some of it's humorous, and some of it's not so humorous. But uh, we'll we'll see what we've got here. So Genesis chapter thirty-one, Genesis chapter thirty-one, and we'll start off in verse one. And he heard the words of Laban's son. So Jacob is is in the land of padan Aram, which is north of, which is north, northeast of the land of Canaan, across the upper Euphrates River as it kind of goes diagonally down. And he's in that land where Abraham first settled before he went to the land of Canaan, before he sojourned. And so his grandfather lived there in Haran, and uh, the Aram is the same general area. And uh, Abraham, you know, eventually sends Eliezer, his servant, to go find him a wife, for his son, Isaac. And so Eliezer travels up to Padan-aram, Haran area, and he finds Rebekah. And that's Jacob's mom. So Isaac and Re- Rebekah or um, Isaac's parents. Jacob's parents. <laughs> there we go. Isaac, Rebekah, had Jacob. Jacob and Esau. And Jacob steals Esau's birthright, and then he steals his blessing. And and he's no match for Esau. They're twins, but he is no match for Esau. He knows Esau is going to kill him. He's, Esau is, is seeing red. And so Jacob flees, and you, you, you might be familiar with the story. He gets to Bethel, and the Lord talks to him there. The Lord reveals himself in Bethel, and he gives Jacob some promises in Bethel. He says, I'll be with you. And then Jacob continues on, sojourns up to Paid Anaram, where his uncle Laban, his uh uncle, his uh his mother's Rebecca's brother. And uh he stays there and falls in love with uh Rachel and then Laban upsets the balances of uh uh equity and justice and deceives uh Jacob into marrying Leah first and then he, you know, so he works 14 years for both Leah and Lab, uh, Leah and Rachel, and so the time to leave has come, because things are not well in the land of Padan Aram anymore, and so that's where we're at in the context. So, uh, let's go ahead, and I'll pray real quick, and and continue on. Lord, I pray that you help me to. Uh, Give me clarity of thought, Lord, and I pray that your Word would um, minister to the hearts as as your holy Spirit see fit. I thank you for uh, these folks, thank you for their generosity and the, for the food and uh Lord, please be with me as i uh, uh, I try to be a blessing and try to minister and I pray in Jesus name, Amen. All right, uh, chapter 31, verse 1. And he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's. So this has to do with Jacob's manipulations with the herd, and is all the rings straked and the speckled and the spotted uh, cattle will be my pay, will be my, my earnings, and all the, the, the non-speckled and all the, the white ones will be Laban's. Well, Jacob gets in there and starts manipulating so that the next generation of cattle is all his. Rainstreak spotted and speckled he doesn't care what they look like <laughs> they're still the same value at the cattle market right so so he does this and that's what how that's the part of Jacob that that everybody knows well Jacob the supplanter Jacob the the conniver the the deceiver the the manipulator and so after this, all of a sudden Jacob's Jacob's uh, his flocks are looking pretty pretty big and Laban's are getting older and dying off. And that's, you know, there's, there's that. Uh, he's just, he transferred wealth very, very sneakily, basically. And so Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before and the Lord said unto Jacob return unto the land of thy fathers into thy kindred and I will be with thee and Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock and the reason why Jacob has to do this is because he's still living next door to his father-in-law he's right there in his father-in-law's house he has no privacy he can't have a conversation with his wives without somebody else over here and so, so, uh, you know, Jacob's, Jacob's like, okay, well, I need to, I need to tell, how am I gonna, how am I gonna tell my wives it's time to uproot and go? And, and so Jacob, uh, Jacob's got, uh, got a little plan here. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock, verse five, and said unto him, I see your father's countenance that is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And ye know that with all my power I have served your father. And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. So not all has been well for actually quite some time. (laughs) If he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. He's talking to his wives. Laban said the speckled would be my wages. And then all the cattle bear speckled. What am I supposed to do? Do I vey? <laughs> and if he said thus the ring streak shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle strakes. It's not my fault that they just favored me. Uh, read the previous chapter, you'll 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 find out. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. So he's putting himself in a good light, you know. And he's trying to con- he's trying to con- he's trying to convince his wives. He's trying to manipulate them here. And this is and this is just classic Jacob. Anybody ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, the musical? You know, uh, uh Tevye's dream that he has about uh the mother-in-law and she's going to just, you know, she's she's No, no. Tzeitel is going to marry marry the tailor, Tom's oil. She's not going to marry the butcher. You know, and so he pretends he has this nightmare and he wakes up, you know, he pretends to wake up, <gasps> you know, and he's freaking out and wife Golda wakes up. And she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he goes into this long dream and she's convinced, oh, it's of the Lord that that she because, you know, Golda's all happy and glad that she's going to marry the rich butcher and not the poor tailor. You know, but, you know, Tevia convinces her with a fake, with a fake nightmare from the dead, you know, from, from the other world. Well, I think this is what Jacob is doing here. <laughs> Thus, <laughs> Jacob, Jacob. Let's see here. And I came to pass, verse 10, at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes. And, and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me into a dream, in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see, all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, Where thou anointedst the pillar and where thou vowedst to vow unto me, now arise, get thee out from this land and return unto the land of thy kindred. Well, what does Rachel and Leah have to say about this? Oh, he did a good job of convincing them. Verse uh, 14. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us and hath quite devoured also all our money. For all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. So Jacob's like, yes, (laughs) we're going to Canaan. Got the wives approval. (laughs) It's time to uproot, but I got to convince them somehow. So I think... I wonder if I wonder whoever wrote the, the Fiddler on the Roof got that idea from here. I, I don't know. Then Jacob rose up, verse 17, and set his sons and his wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, <laughs> interesting insertion there, which he had gotten and paid An Aram for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. Verse 19, and Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, and rose up and passed over the river, and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him, and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Isn't that interesting? Because that's exactly what Laban said to Eleazar when Eleazar said, The Lord led me here to find a wife, and it's Rebekah for Isaac. And Laban says, Well, I can see this thing is of God. Well, we can't really say good or bad about this. Now the Lord's saying it to Laban. He's taken his words from 20 years ago and put them back on him. Laban should have approved of that because it was a God, and he didn't. So now, Laban is, Laban is facing something from his past here in the land of Gilead. Laban's facing something. And Laban Laban gets put in his place in Gilead here. Verse 25, then Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done that thou hast stolen away unawares to me, and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me? And didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs, with tabret and with harp. A likely story. Sure, Laban. And hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. That's probably a fair statement. But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying... Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad, and now, though thou wouldst needs be gone, because thou soar longest after thy father's house, you can hear the sarcasm in his, in, his, in, his, in his words here. Yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? Ah, the last thing that bubbles to the surface is the heaviest. <laughs> it's the weightiest. Laban, Laban cares about those gods. And Jacob answered and said in verse 31 to Laban, this first honest statement he says, he's said probably in the last 20 years, because I was afraid. Laban or Jacob finally tells the man who he's been afraid of for 20 years that he's afraid of him. Why? Because I was afraid, for I said, peradventure thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let them not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is lying with me and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. You don't wonder why Rachel stole her father's gods. You know... I suppose it's perfectly natural to steal that which, uh, to steal, to take that which holds the greatest amount of your father's affection, (laughs) and it's a warning to parents. It's a warning to parents to make sure that that you don't love the wrong thing. Too much because your kids are just gonna be gravitated toward the same thing, yeah. and uh but if you love God most then then you can pray and hope that they will love God most to also and in this world it's easy to get sidetracked with 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 things it really is so laban uh but Laban kind of figures things out a little bit here, and so. Rachel either stole that because she wanted to make him mad, or she stole it because that was the closest she could get to his love. Mm. There's some grieving either. There's some either angry hearts in this family, or some some grieving hearts, and some selfish hearts. And this is just a this is a dysfunctional family. (laughs) Verse 31, all right, we read that. Verse 32, uh, we read that. Let me see here. Verse 33, thank you. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maidservants' tents, but he found them not. Then went he out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent but found them not. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched but found not the images. Now Jacob, he's had enough. He's had enough, enough courage to just tell Laban the truth for the first time. But now, now he's, now he's, now he's on the offense. He's had enough. Father-in-law is done meddling. <laughs> and Jacob was wroth, verse 36, and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it bef- here before my brethren and thy brethren that they may judge betwixt us both. Laban's putting it, uh, Jacob is putting it on a line here. This twenty years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young. Jacob took, take, took good care of the birthing. Birthing cattle and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts, I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day. The drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from mine eyes. I don't know. Maybe he's exaggerating a little bit here, but (laughs) but not too much. Not too much. Thus have I been 20 years in thy house, thy house, 20 years in his father, father father-in-law's house. Mercy. I I love my father-in-law. I love my father-in-law. He is the, I, you know, I always dreaded what kind of, what kind of in-laws will I end up with in my life? I ended up with wonderful in-laws, but I wouldn't want to live next to him. 20 years in thy house, verse 41, I serve thee 14 years for thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages 10 times. And I guarantee you, they didn't go up. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely thou had sent me away now empty. Probably true. God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee Yesternight, because Laban told Jacob just a little bit too much. He said, well, you, you know, I, I could do you hurt, but the Lord told me not to. And Jacob's like, wow, I've got the Lord on my side. All of a sudden Jacob grows a backbone because he realizes God's on his side and he's not trying to manipulate things. I mean, he, he's still Jacob, but there's, by the time he gets through Gilead, Jacob is a changed man because he's, he's facing his fears, and uh, the three points in this message, if you you just they're easy to remember. In Gilead, Jacob faced his fears, his foes, and his faith. He faced all three of those things, and so that's that's it in a nutshell. So, what does Laban have to say to all this? <laughs> oh, it's Laban's turn to whine and in pity. Verse forty-three. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, <laughs> and these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine. But he stops there. He stops there. Uh, colon. And what can I do this day unto these my daughters? What can I do? To the, what can I do to my daughters? and these and unto their children with which they have born <clears throat> Laban sees God is with Jacob he's been seeing it for the last 20 years and Laban has come to the conclusion that his daughters and his grandkids are better off with Jacob than they are with him because he's he is the one that started the the he's the one that started it and Jacob was man enough to <laughs> kind of fight against him. Jacob prevailed over Laban in Laban's uh cheating him and manipulating him and twisting everything around. And, La- and, and Jacob comes out on top <laughs> in and of his own power. And then again, you know, the Lord's hand is always behind the scenes too. So Jacob, yeah, he may be a conniving, sneaking, thieving, Little Jacob, the supplanter, but the Lord was with him. And the Lord's just working some stuff out of Jacob. But Laban, Laban started it. And, uh, verse, uh, 44. Now therefore come thou, Laban says, let us make a covenant. I and thou, and let it be for witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, gather stones, and they took stones and made an heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban called it Jergarsa Hadutha, but Jacob called it Galeed And Laban said, this heap is a witness between me and thee, this day, therefore was the name of it called Galeed And Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watch between me and thee when we we're absent from one another. There's there's some there's some level there's some leveling going on here. If verse fifty, if thou afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold this pillar which I have cast betwixt me and thee. This heap be a witness and this pillar be a witness that I will not pass over this heap to thee and that thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. And the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge betwixt us and Jacob swear by the fear of his father, Isaac. Then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning, Laban rose up and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned unto his place. So they bear the hatchet, Laban and Jacob. Jacob stands up to Laban and Laban has some respect for him now. But he lost his best employee. He did. He really did. Uh, he, 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 he cuts his losses at this point. Laban does. And I suspect eventually Laban realizes that being back at square one, uh, is worse than if he had just been fair. And that's what Laban learns there. It's better to just do that which is right. Do that which is just and equitable. But now Jacob, so he's faced his fear of his father-in-law, but now he's faced with another fear that's been hanging out in the back of his mind for twenty years: his foe, his twin brother, the one he grew up with, the one he played with in the, as, as little children. They probably helped each other out and, 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 you know, rescued each other from sticky situations growing up together. But man that 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 money man gets in the middle of people and just ruins things that blessing that inheritance the birthright that that stuff so he faces another fear that's basically in a sense has kept him trapped in paid Anaram. i i suspect had he not been afraid of esau he would have left paid Anaram. But Esau, his fear of Esau is greater than the fear of his (laughs) father-in-law. He'd rather put up with misery and injustice than face, face losing his own life. Skin for skin, you know. What's, you know, like, like Job, you know, the devil says, ah, he'll curse you. Just, you know, take away his health. But Job doesn't do it. So, The Lord shows up now. He's about ready to face Esau. But the Lord, the Lord rewards faith. Jacob says, all right, it's time for me to step up. It's time for me to just put it on the line. And the Lord says, ah, that's what I like to see. And so now the Lord shows up. So let's uh, pick the narrative up. Ver- uh, chapter 32, verse 1. And Jacob went on his way. And the angels of God met him. I've always read right through that and didn't even see it. Verse two in Jacob. And when Jacob saw them, he said, "This is God's host." And he called the name of that place Mahaneim. That's it. That's all we get to know about. It's just a little blurb. Uh, Mahaneim means two armed camps. So it's possible Jacob saw two battalions of angels ready to fight, ready to defend. You, know, you one, could, one could theorize that one was for Laban and the other one was for Esau. But that's what Mahanaim means, two armed camps. Verse 3, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau. So he stops here at Mahanaim. And sends forth messengers down into the land of Seir, the country of Edom. In verse 4, and he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. (laughs) Another understatement of the century. (laughs) There's a lot more to that story. Verse 5, And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight, and the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, "We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me, He's coming to wipe me out. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. Maybe he got the idea from the two camps that he saw, and he said, "If Esau come to one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Esau might come and find one and wipe them all out and think he got everybody and go away, and then well, I still got fifty percent, you know so Jacob's still still uh, um, scheming and conniving verse nine, and Jacob said, Oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father, so now he's Now he's talking to the Lord. He's done everything that he can think to do. Now it's time to talk to God about taking care of what I can't handle. Mm -hmm. That's Jacob. And he says, but he says some really honest things in here. And Jacob said, oh, God, of my father, Abraham and God of my father, Isaac, the Lord, which said unto me, return unto thy country, and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. So he's saying, Lord, you told me this. I'm talking to you, the one who told me this. I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies. That's true. Whether you think it or not, it's true. That's a true statement. That has the sound of truth and honesty to it. Which thou hast, uh, and and of all the truth, which thou hast showed unto thy servant. That's an interesting statement. Lord, Lord, you showed me some truth. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. Why? For I fear him. Admission number two. He's admitting it. He admitted it to Laban. He's admitting it to God. He's being honest with himself and with God here. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the seed, which cannot be numbered for multitude. This is what he got, the promise back in Bethel. Jacob got the promises in Bethel. And he's remembering the promises in Bethel. Verse 13, and he lodged there that same night there in Mahanaim. And took of that which he came to his hand a present for Esau his brother, two hundred she goats and twenty he goats, two hundred ewes and 30, uh, twenty rams, thirty milk camels with their colts, forty kine, and ten bulls, twenty she asses and ten foals. You know, if I can't beat them, <laughs> I'll throw a bunch of cattle at them. <laughs> That's the strategy number five or six. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves. <laughs> And said unto his servants, Pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. You notice the Lord didn't answer him. He just prayed to the Lord and he prayed and and no answer. So now he's, now he's scheming and conniving. He's, 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 he's gonna, he's gonna hobble Esau with a bunch of cattle now. Verse 17, And he commanded the foremost saying, When Esau, my brother, meeteth thee and asketh thee saying, Whose art thou? And whither goest thou and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, they be thy servant Jacob's it is a present sent unto my Lord Esau, and behold also he is behind us, Jacob's on his way, <laughs> liar, <laughs> and so commanded he the second and third, and all that followed the droves, saying, on this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him, and say ye moreover, behold thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me." And afterward, I will see his face peradventure. He will accept of me. So went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. But Jacob cannot sleep. And he rose up that night, verse 22, and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the ford Jebok. Now, here's a geographical marker right here. So Jabbok is a tributary that flows into the Jordan River. So he, the whole time, he's been on the south side of Jabbok at Mahanaim, but now he's going north. He's going the opposite of direction of Esau. He's putting this tributary, this 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 uh, river, between him and Esau on his way. So uh, let's see here, <clears throat> verse twenty-three. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. Paragraph Mark, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, that's the man that he wrestled with, he touched the hollow of his thigh, that's Jacob's thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob. But Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God, And with men and hast prevailed. Whoa! Prevailed with God and with men. I don't think Jacob felt like he had prevailed. No, Jacob was at his wits end. And God says, (laughs) you're at your wits end. You have prevailed. That's the way the Lord works. That's the way he works. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. I could just hear the tone in the, in the angels, in the angel of the Lord's voice here. <laughs> and he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place, verse 30, Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. So Jacob here faces his faith. He faced his fear and he is ready to face his foe and the Lord gives him what he needs. Gives him what he needs first uh, chapter thirty three verse one and Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men, and he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids, and he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after. In Rachel and Joseph hindermost. So that's the order in which he places them. And he passed over before them. He's leading them. Now, for the first time, maybe Jacob is finally figuring out, I got to lead my family. The Lord told me to get out of paid aram and I kind of manipulated them out of there. And, uh, but now I'm leading. I'm going to be the first one to die. Good man. Good man. And as he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Oh, I bet that was sweet. Sweet. 20 years, he hasn't seen his twin brother. Out of all the things Jacob learned and benefited from here in Gilead, I wonder which of them he values more. (laughs) How do you compare liberty and freedom from a manipulative, deceitful, oppressive father-in-law? There's no liberty in, 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 in paid anagram when you're supposed to be somewhere else. How do you compare love rekindled between a brother? How do you compare having prevailed with God? How do you prevail with being a prince with God? How, how do you compare that? They're all so valuable. That, I mean, from one moment you say this was, this was more of, which one do I choose? They all, they all work together. Now you need God first, of course, yes, but what's God without liberty? Well, we have liberty in Christ. What's, what's God with fear? Well, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. That's prevailing and of love. That's his brother. And of a sound mind, Jacob is learning how to trust the Lord here. This place in Gilead is is testing Jacob. Jacob met his Gilead here in Gilead. Jacob is still Jacob, but he's a lot less Jacob than he used to be. And that is the key. And if you've ever experienced those moments where you felt, oh man, that was Jeff. <laughs> or that was me. <laughs> that wasn't the Lord. That was my old, that was the old me. <sighs> Sorry, Lord. Lord says, I know. I paid for it. There you go. Thank you, Lord. Sorry. Fellowship restored. Fellowship restored. Let's carry on. A just man falls seven times and rises up again. Why why does he rise up again? Because he's just. You're justified in Christ. Rise up again and again and again. You know, the definition of a perfect man is somebody who's fallen to a complete seven times. (laughs) A perfect failure, I mean. But in Christ, you're perfect. It's It's a paradox. But as we reckon, indeed, <laughs> our old self to be dead, indeed, unto sin. But I'm alive unto God. And I choose to live the life part and not focus so much on the dead part. Mortify, reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed, unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. And uh, we get so bogged down with our old man. That sometimes it just becomes all we think about. We just get down and down and down and down. The Lord said, yeah, but what about the resurrection? I get that you're dead. I get that you're crucified with me, but I rose again. So rise up with being down in the mully grubs. Live the victorious life and just, just rest on His mercy and His grace because He, because His grace is sufficient for for what you're going through and his grace is sufficient for how many times you mess up and you just confess it and restore the fellowship and move on. And that's the way to do it. And uh, so to close up here, Jacob received the promises in Bethel, but he prevailed in Gilead. You know, the first time Jacob went through Gilead, this isn't the first time he went through Gilead. He said here back, we read it, he says, he's praying to God and he says, I'm not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan. Well, wait a second. No, he, he didn't pass over Jordan. He passed over Jabbok. So he's not talking about right then and there. He says, with my staff, I passed over the Jordan. That was 20 years ago. He says, all I had to my name was a staff running from, from my brother. Now I've got two bands, and I, I need your help. <laughs> you helped me then, help me now. And that's a hard pill to swallow when you got a family to protect now. It's easier, so much easier when it's just yourself. I remember my late 20s just just taking one day at a time. And now I got a family and oh man, it's it's a lot harder to take those big steps of faith. But the Lord is with me just as much as he was then. It's just, you know, I was a little more <laughs> I could take bigger risks. Well, I don't know. The Lord is with you. You can take, you can take whatever risk the Lord allows you. The Lord says you can do it, you can do it. it. Gets to the heart of the matter. You know, I think, uh, when he left his mother's kitchen, he was a boy. He was no match for his twin brother Esau. But by the time he got the paid anoram, when he met, when he ran into Rachel and the flock, He something happened in between, in between running, running from his mother's kitchen as a boy. He was a man by by the time he got there. I think he he may have spent a little bit extra time than he anticipated in in this Gilead area because he passed through here 20 years ago. By the time he got up there, he was able to roll a great stone from the mouth of that well. When everybody was saying, "Well, we have to wait till everybody gets here and then they will roll it from the mouth of the well." Sounds like it took more than one man to easily do that. Jacob does it. Of course he's motivated by love, you know, but you know, love will make you do all sorts of crazy things, but, <laughs> but he, he's, he's got some strength. He's, he's not a, he's not a boy anymore. He's a man by the time he gets there, but he spent some time in paid Aram, and that was, that was fine. But he received the promises in Bethel, but he couldn't stay. So, what can we learn from Jacob here? Well, are we still at Bethel, getting those promises? Good. We need those promises. We need those Bethels in our life. But we can't stay in Bethel. <laughs> a, a friend of mine, <laughs> a friend of mine, we were uh, we used to get together on Monday nights and uh, do prayer group. And just kind of the guys. And, uh, this was when we were all first, the, the group that I was with, all j it was guys and girls were all just friends and they all lived at the lady's house and we all lived in our respective places and most all of them married each other. And, uh, they were just friends, went to the same church and uh, just hung out together and good friends. And, um so I, we'd get together and, uh, Keith's house was the place. And one night, Keith, I think, had to get up early to go to work the next day, and, and, and it kinda got quiet, and we're all just hanging out late at night, you know, and Keith says, well, you know, I've always, I've always wanted to say this. And he says, you don't have to leave, but you can't stay. (laughs) You don't have to leave, but you can't stay. (laughs) And, and I thought, that's kinda profound, I like that. I'm gonna use that one day, and so I'm using it today. Ten years later, no, actually thir- fourteen years later. Fourteen years later, I'm using that phrase. <laughs> Are you still at Bethel? Good. But you can't stay. Are you laboring on the plateau of Padanaram? Good. You learn some things there. You grow a family and you, you get, you, you learn some stuff on the plateaus of life. But, you can't stay. The Lord's going to tell you, uh, you need to go, you need to take a step. And I'm not talking about geography. I'm not talking about distance. It's states of life that we see here in Jacob's. And his states are comprised of movement, but not everybody's lives are. Is when the Lord says, all right, it's time to, time for a change. Trust him. Trust the Lord. Or... Are you prevailing in Gilead? Not everyone who went through Gilead did, but I think for the most part, most everybody the Lord sends, sends through Gilead. It's just a place that you pass through. There's another side to it, but that's where Jacob faced his fears, faced his foes, and faced his faith. Is Gilead, is going to Gilead, going through Gilead worth it? Well, I would say yes, based on based on how invisible old Jacob becomes and how much more you see Israel shine through yes. in his life. You see, you don't see it all the time, but you see more. The old man just kind of begins to fade away. Something changes. Jacob passes over a threshold in this place that 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 changes him for the better and it's not just a momentary thing it's it is a real life change for him and uh, he's got to deal with his sons he's got to deal with all the, the circumstances that he goes through afterwards but he handles these things in a much better way than he does before and you can see him patiently resting upon the lord In, in whatever trials he, he experiences after this part. And you almost see him, you almost see him as, as almost apathetic sometimes, sometimes, but I don't think that's the case. He's just, he's just trusting God sometimes. He's just, just, he's giving God some room to work by just holding his old self back from doing something. And you have to do that. You got to give God room to work. And you know, it's kind of like the awkward silence in a conversation. You feel like you have to say something. It's kind of like that. But those awkward silences aren't always bad. If you just let them be, sometimes the most interesting conversations crop up yeah. because you didn't have to fill it with fluff. <laughs> And that's that's what I see in Jacob after this point. Now, what's the point of Jacob being improved? What's the point of it? What is the point of being bettered through trials, testings, facing your fears? What's the point of it all? To die and go home to heaven and okay, that's over with. Well, I think there's a little bit more and I'll just I think there's a glimpse of it. There's a glimpse of it because you see it in his name, Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. They're not perfect, but God has chosen them. And God once made the nation of Israel glorious. King David, King Solomon, glorious, Magnifical is the word David used. Exceeding magnificent was magnifical was the house that was the temple that Solomon built for the Lord. But all that did not was not all done by Solomon. It was done by David. It was all of this other stuff helped Solomon along the way. And the Lord blessed them with it. And because David had a heart after the Lord. So to close out you don't have to turn there but There's something else in Gilead that you'll find. You'll find what you need in Gilead because the Lord is in Gilead. He's everywhere, of course. He's in Judea. He's in all these other areas, but the Lord is is in Gilead in a special way, I think. That's just what I get from here. You have the balm of Gilead. Why Gilead? Why not the balm of Judea? Why not the balm of some other area? No, no, it's the balm of Gilead. You see, in the Song of Solomon, it talks about the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. And uh, there's two places in the Bible where Sharon is mentioned. There's a Sharon that's the plains or a meadow It's, a, it's a kind of a a flat area along the coast that's called the the field or the the the, uh, the prairie or whatever of sharon but the verse in song of solomon that says the lily of the valley there's no valleys along the coast there where where that area is named sharon but in that verse it says the lily of the valley and the rose of sharon sharon is located in gilead the other sharon And uh, Gilead has valleys in it and mountains in it. And uh, you're going to find the Rose of Sharon in there. That's where you find it. That's where you find the lily of the valley. That's where you find the balm of Gilead. Uh, Jesus Christ, when he was baptized of John the Baptist, um, the place where John first baptized, it's mentioned in John... John chapter 11 or tail end of it. And that's where he abode um, during the time that Lazarus died. And uh, that's on the other side of Jordan in Gilead. And I wonder when Jesus was first baptized, that would be where John first baptized, was on the other side of Jordan in that Gilead area. I wonder if because Jesus was immediately driven of the spirit into the wilderness, well, what wilderness is right next to where he was baptized? What's the wilderness of Gilead. It says he was there 40 days and 40 nights. It doesn't say it took him that long to get there. It says he was immediately driven, and then he was there and was in hunger, and then he was tempted of Satan. You know, Jesus spent some time in Gilead. I suspect that's that's why we call him the balm of Gilead and that's why we call him the rose of Sharon that's why we call him the lily of the valley because he was there and what else do we see in Gilead well Song of Solomon says in uh, chapter 4 verse 1 it says behold thou art fair my love now just to, to establish terminology bride is the woman and bridegroom is the man Bride and bridegroom. So, the, uh, the bridegroom is speaking here. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. And thy hair, that's what makes up the locks, is as a flock of, is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Doves are connected with the Holy Spirit of God. And this bride of his has dove's eyes. She's got eyes of the Holy Spirit shining through. Now, hair is primarily connected with four things in Scripture. And uh, her hair is, is as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. Now, hair is connected with glory, that of the woman. Power like that of Samson. Uh, a covering or protection, again, of the woman. And also, goat's hair happened to be uh, one of the coverings of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. In um, sanctification, like the vow of a Nazarite. They don't cut their hair, they let it grow long. And Song of Solomon is just, it's, it's all analogy, it's all figurative and looking at it, you read through the book and you think man alive what on earth does all this mean and uh but we can get a glimpse of something here so she's got dove's eyes connected to the holy spirit and those eyes are framed by her glory Song of Solomon chapter six verse five says, "Turn away thine eyes from me." This is the groom. Or this is the bridegroom again speaking to the bride. He says, "Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me." Thy hair again is as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. What I believe the bride is, or the bridegroom is saying to the bride here is, "Look away, because I can't." You're just, you're too beautiful. Her eyes full of the Holy Spirit are framed by her glory. That glory was gained in Gilead. Glory from, comes from Gilead. What's the point to Gilead? Well, it's glory, I think. Just, just looking at it how I see it. You know, it says in another passage that the king is held in the galleries it's it's in reference to 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 the bride to him uh describing the the beauty of his bride now i all know that marriage on earth is not the prototype of what the marriage in heaven between christ and the bride that is the real prototype what we have down here is just a type of that and so we can be comfortable men, in looking at these things spiritually. But here is interesting thing. Chapter 5, verse 12 says, that the bridegroom and the bride share a common feature. 5.12 says, his eyes, this is the bride speaking, his eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of water. They have the same eyes. And you ever meet somebody and you look them in the eye and you just immediately know you're going to be good friends? <laughs> and just You recognize a spirit there. Happens. And uh, they share the same eyes. And if the spiritual type applies, then that would mean they have the eyes of the same spirit. They see, so to speak, eye to eye. I wonder if those doves' eyes are fitly set and framed by that glory that could be only found in Gilead, perhaps. Something so beautiful that it is, in a sense, difficult to take in. Perhaps some of what transpires in Gilead is what matures the bride so that the bride can truly say, as she says in chapter 8, then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. You want to find favor with God? This is a bride who is, in so many words, described as mature. In contrast to uh, the sister there in chapter 8, who is described as being, in so many words, immature. Fully developed, mature. So it's possible that in Gilead we get a glimpse of glory purified. Glory matured, glory that is void of self not the selfish glory, but a glory and a fairness and a beauty that almost causes the bridegroom to blush. In fact, if he did not say, turn away thine eyes from me, for I am overcome, perhaps he would. But it is not the place of a king to look away. And so he tells the bride, look away first. (laughs) Look away. Thine eyes have overcome me. And those spiritual eyes, in a brief instance, tell all of the character, of understanding, of suffering, of spirit, of courage, of love, of glory, of all these things that make up a person—the little nuances, the little, the grit, all of the, all of these little things that, when combined, in, in Gilead, become greater than the sum of their parts. an indefinable aspect of the spiritual bride of Christ, all contained in that brief but confident gaze, glance, mostly concealed within the mysterious locks of Gilead. So I hope this small glimpse through the eyes of the beholder, the bridegroom, might be encouraging and give you peace that going through Gilead is, is totally worth it and that you'll get through it. And that's what Jacob found in Gilead. And uh, I think that's the purpose of it, is for the for the maturing to take place. And in the Lord's eyes, it is glorious. So, all right. <sighs> Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for loving us, being with us, even under the end of the world. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, your word would go forth and uh, linger in the hearts of these saints here and be a blessing to them in whatever way your spirit see fit. I pray that you would uh, bless them as they go their ways. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.